Hey, Drew Dixon, back with you for another Bible Thump. My hope through this series is to smack you smartly upside the head so that your whole being radiates with God's righteousness. Um, sorry, that was a terrible joke. The real goal of this series is to uh, encourage you to open up the Bible and hopefully find within it the life-giving, life-sustaining, um, life-transforming truth that is found there. And so what we've been doing recently is looking at this idea of identity. And we said that identity refers to the beliefs that motivate you. Um, it has to do with how you see yourself, has to do with how you see the world, and it has to do with how you see yourself in the world, your place in the world. And your identity shapes your story. And so if we give in to false identities, if we cultivate an idea about ourselves, an idea about the world, and an idea about our place in the world that isn't true, it's going to lead to frustration and disappointment and disaster. This is basically what happened with Adam and Eve, right? Is they were created with this beautiful design and this beautiful purpose that was full of dignity. And they gave into this idea that they could take on a different identity. They gave into this idea that God was holding out on them. They gave into the idea that they could decide what's good and what's not good. Um, whereas God created the world and declared everything that he made good. But they looked at this one tree that they were not supposed to eat from and they said, um, we want to be. That's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was about. It's the, it was them looking at God and saying, no, we want to be the ones that get to decide what's good and evil. And we could look at story after story in human history when people decided they were in charge of what's good and what's right. Um, that results in people hurting each other and abusing each other and taking advantage of each other. And also, ultimately, damaging and hurting themselves, lessening um, their own view of themselves, damaging their own dignity. So we compared the Bible, the origin story of the Bible, to other origin stories, other ancient origin stories. And we saw that compared to other ancient origin stories, the story the Bible paints about human beings is that God created us out of love, goodness, and, and desire. He created us because He wanted to. And He created us with tremendous potential for good. If you hear me say anything, I want you to know that you have so much potential just by being a human being. So, unlike other uh, worldviews, pagan, ancient pagan worldviews that where the gods created people to be their slaves and to do their bidding, God created people to be His partners, and He gave them tremendous dignity by creating them in His image. Um, in the ancient world, uh, if you look at ancient Egypt or ancient Babylon, there was one person who was believed to bear God's image, and that was the king or the emperor. And that was because the king or the emperor was the one representative of God in their culture. And by claiming to be the one representative of God or the gods, the king, the emperor, could demand everyone's allegiance and worship and subservience, right? Um, and it's very similar to how the gods... Uh, ancient gods uh, viewed human beings as their slaves so that they could live in leisure. Well, God created us to be not slaves, but partners. I mean, think about the Great Commission. Think about how the story of the Gospels ends. Of course, it ends with Jesus rising from the dead, but then he gives his followers this great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, to take his kingdom ministry and bring it to bear on the entire world. You see, God had this great purpose, this great mission, and he doesn't um, keep it to himself, but he shares it with his disciples. Um, it's hard for me, 
I'll be honest, it's hard for me to share projects that I'm really invested in and that I really care about and that I really want to go well with other people sometimes, particularly my kids, right? Because the more important a project is around the house, um, the more worried I am, the more anxious I am about letting my kids participate because what? They might mess it up, right? Um, they might mess it up and it might not go as well and it might not look right. Um, we've all had that experience where we're, we're reticent to share um, an important project with a friend, a family member, um, even a coworker, right? Because we don't want him to mess it up. But God, our God, um, shares his work with human beings because he loves us. And so I know that how we think of human beings has been broken by the fall. And there are many ways in which human beings disappoint us and frustrate us, right? But when we look at the origin story of the Bible, we find that God created us in his image, and that, that's a really beautiful thing. And it tells us that we exist to do at least three things, to rule, to reflect, and to work. Um, not rule in the sense of, like, exercise uh, tyranny or to, to you know, um, put other people in their place. No, we rule as co-rulers with God, um, joining him in this good project of taking care of the world, uh, being good stewards of the world that we live in. We were created in His image to reflect His glory and His goodness and His love. Um, that's what it means to be an image. Images, by their very nature, reflect, and that's what we were created to do. And then thirdly, which is what I want to talk about today, I want to camp out on today, is work. This is the one that's hardest for us to stomach, I think, because many of us don't like what we do, or at least a lot of times don't like what we do. Some of us even hate our jobs. We're like, this is just what I do because I have to, to put food on the table, to pay my bills. I hate my job. I wish it were over today. If I could do something else right now, I would, you know. Um, But I hope that as we dig into what the Bible says about work and God's intent for us as workers in his place, we'll see that there's actually, um, it's actually a really beautiful thing. Like there's actually a lot of dignity in your job, even if you hate it. Um, So I want to talk about work for three, for four reasons, four reasons. Uh, One, it's one of the very first things God commands human beings to do. Um, One of the very first things God tells human beings to do in the Bible is to work and keep the garden. Um, Secondly, you spend more of your life working than any other single activity. Think about it. Um, This is what we'll be spending the majority of our life doing. And so if that's the case, um, we should think about, well, what is... What does Scripture say about that? How can I engage? If this is what I'm going to be spending most of my time doing, how can I see the worth and the potential in it? How can I get more out of my time at work? Thirdly, um, no one talks about work the way the Bible does. I really believe this. No one talks about work the way the Bible does. Um, So we're going to unpack that a a little bit more here in in a little bit. Uh, I think the Bible has a lot to say about our work that is really transformative and really powerful. Fourthly, we will be working for all eternity. Work is not something that goes away when we step into the new heavens, the new earth, according to the Bible, when Christ returns to uh, fully renew the world. Um, work is not something that's going away. So let me give you a couple of examples. This is from Isaiah 2. And this is speaking about the Messiah. Isaiah speaking about the Messiah here. Isaiah 2.4. He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Um, you see, what 
is being said there. Um, Isaiah is saying that there's coming a day when the Messiah, through his ministry, the Messiah will take people's weapons, um, their swords, and make them into gardening tools, right? It's the idea of like um, taking weapons of mass destruction in our culture, tanks and fighter jets, and turning them into tractors, right? It's this idea that God's going to restore uh, the world back to what it was meant to be in the garden, where people were working in a way that made the world a better place and that cultivated, not in a way that brought destruction. Okay, I want to look at one more, and you may remember this from last week, but uh, this is from Isaiah 65, verse 21, and this is Isaiah's vision of the new heavens and the new earth. So, when the Messiah returns to restore the world, Back to God's intended purposes. This is what we read in verse 21, Isaiah 65, 21. People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them, and they will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree, and my chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or build children destined for disaster. They will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. So you see the vision Isaiah paints of our future is one full of work. But here's the difference. It's life-sustaining, life-giving, um, productive, enjoyable work. Um, so even if you hate your job, I bet you've at least had a moment at work when you were like, man, I'm proud of what I just did. I'm proud of what I just accomplished. Um, maybe, you know, you're, um, I don't know, a job that someone might not like. Um, I, listen, I think every job can have joy and is beneficial and has dignity. So when I say this, I'm not saying this is a bad job, but I could just see someone not enjoying, like, say, being a janitor. But let's say you organize a room. You're a janitor at a, at a school, and you clean and organize a room such that you know the, the the students that use it notice it right away. Man, this room is is now it's useful and it's clean and and. And they enjoy being in there, and you get to see in a moment like how your work impacted someone in a way that was meaningful and that made their life better. That's enjoyable and productive. It feels good. That's the future we have for work. Um, that's the kind of work we'll be doing. We'll be building houses and living in them. We won't build and other people get to take away from us what we build. I mean, remember, Isaiah wrote these words to a nation in exile where what they produced was getting consumed by others. In other words, they were they were kind of in a way, in a way they were they were slaves. They were not getting to enjoy the work of their hands. So Isaiah says we have a future where we'll build and get to enjoy the work of our hands. Uh, fully enjoy the work of our hands. So um, we have a future of work, a future of good, dignified work. So for the remainder of my time with you, I want to go back to the beginning and look at what the Bible says about work. So in the very beginning, this is what we read, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, one day. Okay, so a couple things I want us to notice. First, Genesis 1-1, this is creation. And Genesis 1-1, God creates the heavens and the earth. So that's where we see the heavens and the earth. So everything 
Everything's created in Genesis 1-1. But look how Genesis 1-2 describes everything that God created. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. Um, so, and the Spirit of the Lord, right? The Spirit of, the, of God is hovering over the surface of the waters. So, um, this word formless and empty, like in Hebrew, it's tohu vavohu, right? It means formless and void or f- without form and empty. Um, and there's uh, this idea that we have about um, things that are formless and empty as if, as if they're not good, right? Um, but the idea here is not that something's not good or empty. Emptiness seems bad to us, right? But the idea here is it's just not complete. Um, tohu vavohu um, is connected to more to like think of like a desert it's saying that something's not it's not producing yet it's not complete it's not it's not met its potential yet in fact um in genesis 131 uh after god's created uh, shaped and formed everything after god's taken this good world and shaped it into a way that's 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 full and beneficial and complete god says of it he calls it tov which means good very good he says it's very good. So you see, God takes tohu vavohu, that which is formless and empty, that which is like desert-like, and makes it tov. He takes tohu vavohu, makes it tov. It's a play on words that if you were an ancient Hebrew person who spoke Hebrew, if you were an Israelite at the time around the time when Genesis was written, you would have gotten it immediately. You would have known what was going on here. This is a play on words saying that God's taking that which is incomplete and making it complete and full, that which is empty and bringing fullness to it. So, this isn't a bad thing. A uh, desert isn't a bad place, right? Um, at least not if you're, if, you're, if you're a lizard or um, if you're a cactus. If you're a lizard or a cactus, a desert's a great place to be. But you see what God's doing in the rest of Genesis 1? In the rest of Genesis 1, um, he's he is not creating things out of nothing. That's already been done. He's taking that which has been created out of nothing and shaping it and and bringing benefit to it. He's ordering that which he's already created so that it's actually full and of benefit to the people who are going to inhabit it. He's setting the world in order into a day-night cycle that's going to be crucial for who? For people, for farming, for people to sustain themselves and be able to work and keep this garden. And we look at verses 6 through 8, we see something similar, right? As God creates the sky and so forth, and then 9 through 10, um, as God creates plants, right, and vegetation that are going to sustain who? They're going to sustain life. They're going to sustain us. And then um, we see in verse 11, God says, Let the earth produce vegetation and seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit with seed according to their kinds. And it was so. And the earth produced vegetation. And then verse 24, we see something similar, right? Uh, then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl on the ground, and wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God saw that all these things were good, right? And so... Why is God saying, let the earth do this, let the earth do this? For what purpose? Who benefits from vegetation? Who benefits from these seed-bearing plants and this fruit? God isn't so much creating things out of nothing in these verses. That happened in verse 1, right? But most of what we see in Genesis 1 is God shaping and molding and ordering that which was already created for us. Who is day and night for? What about vegetation? Who do these things benefit? They benefit you and me. So, God brings that which is good and beautiful and beneficial, 
out of that which was formless and void. He brings fullness out of that which is empty. You see what God's doing? He's making things better. That's what our God does, is he takes things which are not complete and brings them to completion. He takes things which are not full and brings them to fullness. He makes all things new. He makes things better, and that's what we're called to do. That's a picture of the kind of work God wants us to do and the way God wants us to work. The good world God created was brimming with potential, but it needed the hand of God to bring that fullness out, to bring that potential out, and that's what God does. God takes that which is good and makes it better. So, what does that have to do with work? Well, to understand our role our design as workers, as image bearers, we need to look at the first worker. And you see, right, who the first worker in the Bible is. It's not Eve or Adam, it's God. He's the one that gets to work first in the Bible. And the way he works ought to give us a picture of how we should do work in the world. Um, God works in such a way that makes the world a better place, and he works in such a way that makes the world a better place for you and for me and for everyone. So, that's how we ought to think about our work. How is our work making the world a better place? Now, I want to stop here for a minute and just say, by the way, I believe the vast, vast, vast majority of jobs out there do this. Like, even if your job is um, like something that's really hard to see the how it's making the world a better place. Like, um, I'm not, uh, like, a, a job that we think is not a great job or something. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that these are not great jobs. I think these are great jobs. Um, but, like, just think about something like being a janitor. I think the average person might look at that job and say, like, I don't want that job. That sounds like a crummy job, right? But think about it. Like, if you're a janitor and you do your job well, you know what you're doing? You're making spaces cleaner and safer and uh, more appealing for the people that are going to step into those spaces. Like, if you're a janitor at a school, you're keeping children safe so that they can learn and grow. Like, that's a really important and powerful job that makes the world a better place. Or maybe think of a job like, um, I don't know, like a, um, a stockbroker or something. Um, you might look at that job and think, oh, stockbrokers are like, greedy. I'm not saying they are okay, but you might think that like, but a stockbroker is helping people, um, to make money that's going to provide for their families. Uh, they're, they're doing things that I think do have the potential to make the world a better place. Um, maybe that's a bad example. I don't know. You can, you can, uh, email me if you think it is. But, uh, what I want to say to you is that when you work, you have the opportunity to engage in this great endeavor God has given us of bringing order and beauty out of God's good world for the benefit of the people around. But it's important that we see one of the first things God tells us to do is to subdue the earth. Genesis 1, right? And then Genesis 2, to work and keep this garden that he made, this good garden that he made, um, and make it better. Make it better so that it benefits more people. We're called to be cultural gardeners. Um, do you have a garden at home or maybe even just like a potted plant? What's required to make sure that that plant produces fruit and that it grows? Water, right? Soil composition, uh, sunlight. And it has to be the right amount of sunlight for different types of plants, right? It needs to be tended to. It needs to be cared for. 
That's what God wants us to do in the world. He wants us to look at His good world and tend it and care for it in a way that makes the world a better place, that loves our neighbors. You can do that. You have the opportunity to do that. You're invited to do that. So you see, God wants you to be a blessing to the people around you, to live and work in such a way that helps people meet their potential, that helps people grow and and find life. Whether you hate your job or not, I want you to know there's tremendous potential in the job that you have, in the work that you do. Um, Now, there are a handful of jobs that exploit people and that harm other people, but the vast majority of jobs, like, there's this this tremendous potential there. Um, So, know this. Like, God has given you a good and dignified calling. He's given you a good and dignified work. Um, his work of bringing order, beauty, and benefit out of the world, like he shares that with you. He loves you so much that he shares his good work with you and invites you to be a real participant in his project um, of, of subduing, subduing the world, of his project of bringing order out of, out of chaos, of his project of, of loving people and helping them grow. Like that's the human project. God wants you to be a part. You're an important part of it. And he invites you to be a part of it. So I hope that you see how valuable you are to God um, and how much how you live and what you do matters to Him and matters eternally. Um, Thanks for bearing with me. Next week, we'll dial in a little bit more on this subject of work and talk about specifically, practically, what does it look like in the day in, day out of of our jobs, of the work that we do? How can we do that in a way that that really does make the world a better place? How can we do that in such a way that really does um, bring the human project that God's started that brings that project forward? So that's next week. But until then, I want you to know, um, in case nobody else tells you, I want you to know this because I believe it's true. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, nerd.